Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991. From the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between, we will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Bugsy. Hi, this is Nikki. And this is John, and thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. So in the past couple weeks, we've explained why we chose 1991 as our focus for this podcast. We thought we'd maybe take a minute to explain how we're choosing our movies. Um, And so our process is a little bit randomized with a little bit of structure in there as well. Uh, So we're starting with our first five episodes are comprised of a randomized selection of the top 25 box office hits of the year. And then the next five episodes beyond that will be from box office hits 26 through 50, and then we'll go to 51 through 100, and we'll we'll keep adding to the list as we go along. So there'll be a little bit of randomization in there, uh, but hopefully it'll be a, a good mix of, of movies as we move forward in the process. That's how we ended up with today's movie, which is Bugsy. And for anyone who's unfamiliar with the movie, uh, Bugsy tells the story of Ben Bugsy Siegel, who is played by Warren Beatty. Yeah, he's a notorious gangster in New York who heads out to Los Angeles in order to expand the reach of his mob syndicate. While there, he becomes enraptured with an actress named Virginia Hill, played by Annette Benning. He not only wants to conquer the city and the girl, however, Siegel has grand ambitions of building one of the first hotels in a little-known, isolated desert town called Las Vegas. Screenplay by James Tobach, directed by Barry Levinson, and released in limited cities on December 13, 1991. Have you seen this movie before? You know, <laughs> I thought I did. And then when I was watching it, I was like, no, I didn't. Because I, I <laughs> One think... One of the few you haven't seen? I, I think the movie that I thought... Well, I think it was their other movie they were together in, which was Love Affair. And I think I got those two confused. Because when... When we picked Bugsy, I was like, oh, yeah, I saw that. But as watching it, I was like, oh, I've never seen any of this. <laughs> I don't know anything about Love Affair, so I don't know how it, has, how it compares over the There is the no comparison. Leads. It's just both okay. of the same. Warren Beatty and Annette Bening are both are in both movies, and okay. they're, you know, lovers. And I think probably, like, the poster art and, like, the... It's kind of similar because they're kissing each other in both or yeah. embracing each other. Yeah. So, I mean, as a young girl, yeah, I can, I think I can Yeah, I can understand what confusion, yeah, because the, the poster art and everything for Bugsy is like a, like a diagonal canted shot of, you know, two glamorous people sort of making out and kissing, which is really not the tone of this movie at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they chose that. As the to uh, entice people to watch it, they're like, "Oh, yeah. this is a love movie," but yeah. not really. No, uh, is Love Affair good? <laughs> uh, now I don't even know if I saw Love <laughs> Affair because it's been so long. Okay, I remember seeing the both of them in something, so it it had to have been Probably. that. Okay, I didn't re- I didn't really research to see if they had done other <laughs> movies besides this. Uh, I don't know if this is the movie where Warren Beatty and Annette Bening met, but it's definitely where they 
really, think this is where they met because they fell in love and like had yeah. a kid like shortly thereafter. So yeah, I think this is where they met and got together and got married in a couple of years and had a kid because I know Warren Beatty was with Madonna before oh, that this time from Dick Tracy days. Yeah, which was in 1990. Yeah. So, and also he is in Truth or Dare, which we will be watching because that's oh. in 1991. He's in that movie a lot, so that's why okay. I was like, when, when did he go from Madonna to Annette Bening? That's what I kept on thinking in my head. And then when I went on Wikipedia to find that out, all I found was every single woman he's dated throughout his life, mm-hmm. and it was over a hundred. Yeah. So yeah, I was like, I need a timeline. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he was notorious for... Uh, yeah. He was, he's like the pre-George Clooney type of uh, actor in, in that respect, except probably more numerous in, in terms of conquests. I don't know if that's, that's not a good word. But in terms of this movie, I have not seen this movie either. Two out of the first three movies that we watch for this I, are my first time viewing. I don't know. I'm still, even though it's been a couple days, I'm still like on the fence on what I thought of it. So I don't know if you want to start by giving your first impression. I'm going to just say that I did not like this movie. Okay. I kind of got the impression you didn't like it from Because <laughs> I just stopped paying attention. On the side of the couch, yeah. Usually, okay, when I watch any movie or anything, I'm always on the computer just looking things up as I'm watching. I mean, mm-hmm. this is how my brain works. I'm always watching a thing, but I'm also watching something else. Yeah, always multitasking. And then while watching this movie, I was just Googling Bugsy's history, and the more I was reading about his life, I was like, uh, I don't like this guy at all so i was like fuck this movie <laughs> i don't know about the movie, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and then just watching warren Beatty as him his i don't know why he was nominated because hmm. his I, I this is the other thing is that my introduction to warren Beatty was dick tracy it's oh, okay. nothing before i have not seen bonnie and Cl- i have not seen anything that he's been in before Dick Tracy. So still now you haven't. Yeah, now cuz I just don't care about Warren Beatty though. like his movies. I just don't care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Dick Tracy, I know as so when I was watching this, I just thought of him as Dick Tracy as Bugsy. Mm-hmm. And I was like okay. this is just weird to me and I don't I didn't really care for him. The only person I liked in the entire movie was Annette Bening. Hmm. That's interesting. So, um, <laughs> my perspective when watching the movie was more like I knew it was nominated for Best Picture. I also knew that it, it had won the Golden Globe for Best Picture Drama. Yeah. So, I came with it from that mindset of okay, why? Why was this nominated? Is it really going to be that good? And throughout the entire movie, I just kept on thinking okay, this is mildly interesting, but why is it Best Picture? Why? Yeah, I want. Like, that's what I was also saying. Going like uh, there, there are so many other good movies this year. And yeah, in um, terms of also, like fan favorite type of good, you know, like audience. Yeah, I just want to know. Yeah. How, what? Plus, it also did really well in the box office. That's why I mean, it was yeah, near the end of the year in the top twenty-five. 
And the way it was released, it made it seem as if, you know, this is going to be an Oscar movie. Right. They, I'm sure they, it was one of those ones that was planned to be at the end of December so they could squeeze in enough screenings to be eligible for awards and then um, let that carry the box office. Because that does happen sometimes. You know, there's littler movies who, you know, are have something of a slow build. This one I don't think was so much of a little movie, though. I mean, it had, um, according to the IMDb, depending on how accurate that is, about a $30 million budget. It made almost 50. So it's a it's a big movie. It has Barry Levinson, who is a relatively big-name director. He had won an Oscar for Rain Man at that point. He'd done Diner, The Natural, Good Morning Vietnam. So he is mm-hmm. Avalon, um, which is lesser known these days, but was big in that award season as well. Um, and Warren Beatty's a big name. So it had some pedigree behind it. It was like, it, it, it did seem like it was one of those movies that was meant or made specifically to be an awards movie. Yeah. And it was probably celebrated because, you know, hey, we did this for you guys, Academy. But that's not to say it's, it, it's not a bad movie, I don't think. It just wasn't anything special. Like, it didn't resonate. I don't know. It, it's not resonating with me. It's not like, um, it's been a long time since since I've seen Goodfellas, which came out like in 1990 and is also a gangster movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in that... terms of gangster movies, this is not Goodfellas, of course. Um, in yeah, this is no many, Godfather. Right many now. respects. Yeah, not <laughs> Godfather. And um, it just felt like it was, it was a period piece that played around with the visual style a bit. Had some good actors in there, and then they farted it out into the world. I don't know. It was also too long, in my opinion. It was too long, and I felt like it still didn't really explain enough about yeah, key parts of, I was also of Ben Siegel's life. I was confused of when what he was doing in L.A. and then what he was doing in New York. Because it would be one scene... L.A., 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 going to Las Vegas, L.A., New York. Mm-hmm. And that starts at the beginning, too, like in that opening montage sequence where the credits are, like, rolling. Mm-hmm. They do this thing where it's, like, five-second snippets of him, like, you know, saying goodbye to his wife and kids, and then, like, you know, a credit pops on the screen, and then a five-little second of him buying shirts, and then credit, and then him meeting a woman on the elevator, and then mm-hmm. credit, and then... All of a sudden, they're done having sex, and then elevator, and now he's like into another. You know what I mean? Like so, it jumps around and plays with time in a very jarring, confusing way. Yeah, I think if you didn't know anything about Bugsy's life, you're just. I mean, it didn't really explain. It didn't get it. Give a good explanation. I had to. That's why I was googling. I'm like. Who is this dude? I mean, I understand what he did for Las Vegas, but I don't care. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird because the movie does seem to sort of celebrate this gangster in a way. Yeah, which he should not be celebrated. And and there's there's a difference between celebrating a person and um, telling a story that imparts his impact in history. Right. So like you can 
you can have a movie about a gangster or a mob of gangsters like uh, like The Godfather, and you can have sympathy for certain characters. You could have, you know, a reason to root for them to some degree within the context of where they are. This is a movie where it seems like Bugsy is an important part of our American fabric who should be celebrated and revered, and he was not appreciated in his day because look at what happened to him. He was a visionary who was not given the credit he deserved or did not get a chance to see it out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the impression I got, which was not what should have happened. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm one of those guys who doesn't know anything about Bugsy Siegel. I didn't know anything going in. I still don't really know much about him. I just know that evidently he was very high up on the, the mob ladder in New York, um, at least enough to be trusted to go to L.A. to, I guess... I, I mean, when he gets to L.A., he basically just has like a, a two-second scene or like a two-minute scene with these um, L.A. gangsters who he's there specifically to meet. And within those two-minute scenes, he convinces them to work for him. Yeah. Right? And And, like... All of the conflict and the resolution in terms of the actual mob bosses and everything and different, you know, factions are resolved in like two minute dialogue scenes where Beatty as Siegel just talks out of his mouth and then everything goes his way. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I learned from him, quote unquote, is that he was uh, suave and charming enough to possibly get his way and just talk out of the side of his mouth and, you know, do things. And then he had grand ambitions of building this hotel in Las Vegas and then killing Mussolini and being an actor. He just wanted everything to be bigger, bigger, bigger. But beyond that, I don't really know anything about him, including how he got the nickname Bugsy or why he hates it. They say say that he hates it in the movie. He does not want to be called it. He will get very violent with you if you call him that, but they don't explain why they don't explain where the nickname came from. That seems pretty important for a movie that is named that. Yeah. (laughs) So when I was looking up about him, he got the nickname Bugsy as a teen. And it's because of his nature and his behavior and the way he acted or just towards other people they called him crazy as a bed bug bug just turned into bugsy and i mean this goes from 1941 to 47 when he died so everything before that i mean he he was uh, in the mob and doing crimes and whatnot since his teens and then 1941 he was already in his 30s i believe okay so we mix we have we don't have like twenty years of his mob experience shown. Right. That would be Bugsy three if we're going with the Godfather analogy. <laughs> there would be a prequel, which <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I would not watch. Yeah. I don't care. Robert De Niro would play him. So I it's guess, like his last years of his life. Yeah, and pretty and much. It seems like they picked and chose which sections to focus on, which were generally okay, but it just didn't work as like a cohesive whole. It was just like a bunch of weird little vignettes that were strung together in a timeline that made sense to the filmmakers, but didn't always make sense to us, I think is probably what ended up happening. 
I think what was interesting to me was the progression of Bugsy throughout the movie because he starts off as something of a mild-mannered guy with the ability to commit violence. So at the end of that montage scene that I was talking about before, it results in him going to um, some sort of like factory or whatever and confronting a guy who had stolen money from him. Mm-hmm. And he presents them with the shirt that he bought in the credit sequence and saying... You know, I, you know, do you want a gift? Here's, here's this shirt that, you know, here's a shirt that I wear because you're stealing a shirt off my back. And so this is like, you know, whatever. And then he shoots the guy dead. So immediately you get like a tone of like how the movie could be violent if it wants to be, but also how even keel Bugsy is at that moment. And I thought that's how he's going to be the whole time. But then around, I don't know, like the halfway or like two thirds mark, it seems like he loses his temper at every other sentence mm-hmm. and just continually like, so I, I don't know if that was intentional or not to sort of like lead then, you into thinking he was like a nicer guy than he really is. And then all of a sudden he turns on you as well as, you know, how he's turning on everyone else in his life. He's turning on the audience as well and showing you this other side as you, you know, get to know him more. But in terms of like gangster stuff, it's really not as intense as what other gangster movies would be. It's like that opening scene where he shoots the guy several times it's a little bit bloody a little bit gory there's like a couple times where he beats people up yeah and then the end when yeah, he gets killed and that's about it there aren't really a whole lot of like conventional gangster scenes that you would expect yeah, to see big giant shoot-ups and blood splattered everywhere type of thing yeah it's really just like a lot of talking just businessmen at the table or whatever and yeah you know, not even with like the you know the veiled threats or whatever else you might think. I, I'm just curious why it was done this way. Like, I wonder if they're trying to make this more of a love story. I guess so, but I mean, it's not really they clearly. You know, so I mean, if you're gonna go for the R and you have it already, maybe go ahead and go a little bit farther, especially since you know that Goodfellas was last year and sort of raised the bar for what gangster pictures could be. Okay, let me say this. A couple weeks ago I said that um, Martin Scorsese directed the hell out of Cape Fear, for better or for worse. Mm. This is the opposite for... No, it's like it's like Barry Levinson directed the hell out of the movie, but he only went like half as far as Scorsese. He's also trying to like make a noir picture, very obviously, like playing with the light and the shadows, um, like in that first kiss where they're against the projection screen, yeah, um, and we're behind it, and so it's just like a white with black silhouette shadows, and people are moving in and out of the shadows of the projector screen within that scene. Um, a lot of dolly shots where they're like tracking along the tables, and a lot of montages, and like canted angles and double exposures and composite shots where there's like multiple images on the screen that are happening in different places all within the same shot and maybe that was like the focus was to kind of make it look dynamic and pretty and didn't care as much about the lackluster story and presentation of the story i didn't like the performance from annette benning all that much really (laughs) yeah i mean she's a good actress I mean, clearly she's been nominated several times since this. Since, since, yeah. I love like the first scenes that they were in together on the movie set. Like I thought yeah. the banter and the dialogue in that were, were, you know, really fantastic. And you're like, 
she's saying like, use your imagination. I'm using it. Okay. Well let me know when you're done. And she turns around and leaves. Yeah. And like shuts him down. And then like the, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. She shuts him down. And then like the lights of the studio shut down, like right immediately after that. I thought it was interesting. But after that, she just kind of becomes somewhat lifeless. I think it was just because she wasn't written well. I think she wasn't given enough to do aside from be there and occasionally get in talk a fight. back. You yeah. Know? Um, be contrarian. Um, and then later embezzle money and cause that sort of conflict or whatever. Like she wasn't given enough meat to chew on in the scenes. And so I don't know. She was just sort of there to either be sad or yell. And that's about it. Yeah, and getting to fights with yeah Bugsy. Yeah, she was either there to you know start and then something they make up or and then fight again. Yeah, I Be yeah throughout the movie. Yeah, so I was, I mean, I'm more interested in Virginia Hill as a character. Just reading up on her life. Yeah, because she seemed like a strong woman. Yeah, which and is you know something you'd want to see more about in an. I, yeah, I guess I wish they. I wonder if it is just the script and the writing. They just didn't give her much to say or do. It besides, oh, be mad and jealous mm-hmm. in this part. Right. Kiss him here. Yeah, be mad and jealous again. Get in a fight. I don't know because yeah, Virginia Hill as a person is probably more fascinating to me than I was. I was trying to find is there a movie in Virginia Hill and there is. Mm-hmm. There's like a 1974 TV movie starring Diane Cannon as Virginia. Yeah, I don't. I didn't look to see if it was available anywhere. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be interesting to see how they how they focus on that, especially since it was what like you know 15 years earlier. Yeah, and also. From reading about her, she was known as the queen of the mob because of the way she manipulated and moved her way up through certain mm. mob people or mobsters. And she did start before she was in L.A. She was in Chicago and she was working with, you know, the likes of El Capone. Okay. So I, I mean, let's, I wish I. Let's get a movie star <laughs> called Queen of the Mob. And then, yeah, you know? that's what I, I, I want to know more. I want some, like, call an evening up now and be yeah. like, let's do Queen <laughs> of the Mob, and just do that. And the other interesting thing is that Harvey Keitel played Bugsy. Right, and Harvey Keitel appears in this movie. Yeah, Har- Harvey Keitel is Mickey Cohen, who is you know the pretty much Bugsy's right hand man and. He was also a professional boxer, but I don't know if they included that in the movie. Mickey Cohen was? Yeah. Like in real life, yes. They did not include that at all, no. But I thought, I mean, I thought Kaitel was fantastic in this movie. Yeah, and I know he was nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, I get Maybe we just have different expectations of what mob movies should be or that we are so used to. Yeah. I don't know, maybe they've become a little bit more prevalent since these days. And we have, like, a different expectation. But I feel like he was just so... He was powerful with while still being, like, understated. He had, like, that quiet energy about him. Uh, yeah, Harvey, Yeah, he always plays that type of character. Mm-hmm. I would rather see him as Bugsy instead of Warren Beatty. Yeah, maybe he was just 
I don't know if he was considered to be too old, or most likely it was just it was Beatty's vehicle that he probably yeah, brought into the, the limelight. Was, yeah. But I, I mean, didn't, I didn't mind Beatty's performance, honestly. I thought he did virtually everything he needed to do, aside from he needed to make Bugsy less likable on screen. Like, I think mm. he tried too hard to be, you know, the smiley, charming guy who deserves empathy. Yeah, I guess. I mean, Harvey Keitel is more of a rigid guy. Yeah, in the yeah. Face. He knew and he was also, a thug. He was supposed to be a yeah. thug, and he played the thug. Yeah, that's good. I mean, also, yeah. Harvey Keitel is two years younger than Warren Beatty. Mm. But yeah, they, Beatty was, I'm sure, too old to play this part. Yeah, that I read that he was too old to play this part. But that's never stopped people before. Right. Another person who was nominated in this movie was Ben Kingsley, who played... Uh, uh, the Mayor Lansky, yeah, or Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky. Who's like the mob accountant. And and a friend of Bugsy's since they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't get it. I don't know why he didn't have a whole lot of screen time. Sort of like Keitel, he was very understated and quiet. But there was no emotion there. It was just like, it looked like a guy who was just sitting there and reading his lines to the camera. Okay. I don't know <laughs> he why just he showed was, up and yeah, he just showed up, Wait. delivered his lines, straight faced, and here's your nomination. Good. They're sir. just like bring Ben Kingsley in here because he's been nominated yeah, he, before. I think like, he listen, won for yeah, he won for Gandhi. Gandhi. Yeah. yeah, that was his first nomination and win. So they they just brought in big name people at that time, I think. Yeah, I guess so. And then, you know, because this is a critical darling of a movie and something that was meant for award people, like they threw a whole bunch of awards at it. This is sort of like left turn, but I want to talk about the 20 dwarves took turns doing handstands on the carpet. Okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so I think- that's, that's something that shows up. Uh, in, in the beginning of the film where he's driving and he's like talking about how he needs to enunciate every word and he uses this vocal exercise of 20 dwarves took turns doing handstands on the carpet. I think it's because he was a, an aspiring actor and he was doing that to enunciate and then I wonder, because you know they would show that big projection screen in his house mm-hmm. and he was watching himself do yeah. scenes. He was also just very friendly with a lot of actors, maybe because of, you know, the supposed charming man that he is. He was friends with a lot of, you know, actors and actresses at that time, like Marlene Dietrich. Yeah, I was thinking, I was wondering, like, is that just like a calming mechanism as well? Because he he started repeating it after he shot and killed uh, his friend, um, Harry, Harry Greenberg, played by Elliot Gould. So, yeah, he repeats the, the 20 Dwarves line after killing that guy. So I was thinking, like, maybe it's some sort of a weird calming mechanism or whatever. Mm-hmm. But just such a weird line. I don't know. I mean, you know how certain actors or actresses, when they prepare for a yeah, scene yeah, they or do something tongue twisters and whatnot. to yeah. enunciate words, maybe that was his way of doing that i guess and then how, how many I'm bugs not sure. could a bugsy see if a bugsy could see <laughs> what, what, bugs <laughs> yeah he didn't want yeah he didn't want to use his own name because he hates bugsy yeah it and would make himself mad we didn't see a single bug in this whole movie mm. it was him <laughs> it, was he. it was just him sorry bad joke um what bug you gonna see what bug you gonna see in this movie 
Not a single one. I don't know about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I was like, I don't like this movie because I don't get why it was made. Who was it for? It's made for like the the old like sixties and seventies. The people, old people who, are... who go to the art house theaters and rave about how you know a more is just as good as quartet. You know what I mean? Like, but different. But different. It's just as good as quartet. <laughs> it's, it's, but the it's, same, but it's the different. same, but different. Real conversation we had back in the day. I don't understand why they showed Bugsy's obsession with Mussolini to such a large degree. So, okay, Mussolini pals with Hitler, right? Mm-hmm. Ruining the world. They have this subplot of Bugsy being obsessed with Mussolini and wanting to assassinate him. And she's going and he's going to use Bibi Newworth's husband's character to get in close, go to Italy, and shoot him like square in the freaking face. Um, and that that subplot is like multiple scenes. And then they show like a newspaper after Mussolini is 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 murdered. Um, and like how Bugsy was like depressed how he couldn't have been the one to do it. Just like so much time devoted to this. Just to show, yes, he's obsessed with doing like these high and mighty, like grand ambition things. Or yeah, I would if it was just him, you know, I have a dream about building this or I have a vision mm-hmm. of building this hotel in the middle of the desert and I'm gonna do it. I and then the whole movie is about him building this hotel and opening it. Right. I, th- then I get it, yeah, fine. There could have been plenty of material with that, too, because it went on for a long time. The budget skyrockets from the $1 million that he anticipated and he had promised to his mob friend investors, and then it balloons up to, like, $6 million or so, and mm-hmm. he's getting, like, movie stars involved and, like, selling 400% shares in the company, which doesn't exist, obviously, in real life. Um, and then the embezzlement angle, they could have done the whole movie on just, like, the hotel side of things for the most part, but they did not. Um, maybe it's a good thing, because the hotel stuff kind of got really boring at the end and repetitive, the way they presented it in this movie. Yeah. It's like, hey, the balloon skyrocketed. Oh, you're not doing exactly what I want. You better fix it. Oh, the, the, the budget's ballooning again. Oh, but this thing's broken. We gotta do something else. Oh, now it costs more money. People are mad at me. <laughs> it's like watching House Hunters or something. Yeah, yeah. Or like, like some flop. It's like, yeah. oh, we didn't know that the roof yeah. had to be on the building, so that's gonna cost you another hundred thousand dollars. What? We need a roof. It's that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I also didn't like the scene, which was a very long scene. Of him going to New York for his daughter's birthday party. Yeah, I didn't understand that scene. They were, like, trying to make it into, like, a weird screwball comedy where he's, like, trying he's to juggle. He's a family man. Yeah, he's trying to juggle the cake being put together. And then a he's group wearing a of giant his mob chef friends. Hat and then going back and forth with that giant chef hat. Yeah, he's, like, running between building, like, running between rooms to placate his daughter and then come and, like... Talk to his mob friends who are mad about the hotel uh, or, you know, mad about losing money. And he tries to pitch them the hotel and then he has to get on the phone to make sure that his mistress is where she's supposed to be. 
the movie should pick a tone and stick with it um, and give me a slice of the cake. Yeah, the cake looked good. <laughs> <laughs> that was another good thing about the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolate cake. <laughs> it showed a cake, and I it piqued my interest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, a cake. Did you look up the cake recipe? No. Bugsy, Bugsy Siegel's cake? No. Uh, I mean, just a couple of things that we didn't really talk about the name of the hotel that he's built. So he built the Flamingo Hotel, which is the first hotel built on the Las Vegas Strip. And it's still there to this day. When I first went to Las Vegas, that was the first hotel that I stayed at. So I've Mm. been there. That's good. But... The story is the mob. right. Story Just as is everyone in Vegas has, but yeah, yeah. Story is that Siegel named the Flamingo Hotel after Virginia Hill because her nickname from him, and I don't know if they really showed it in the movie, was supposedly Flamingo, and it was because of her long legs. Mm. Yeah, I don't think they focused on that. What a surprise! This movie didn't explain something well. <laughs> Yeah, I had to look everything up to understand what this. I had to look this, more things up about this movie this to find out what hour, is this movie about. Movie. I mean, there is a director's cut which is fifteen minutes more or sixteen minutes more. So uh, I don't, maybe that would have explained a bit. I don't want to watch. The, I don't care. <laughs> we saw the original theatrical mm-hmm. version. And the other thing is that it was up to six million to build this hotel, and in today's money. It was $65 million. It would be... It would be the equivalent of $65 million to build it. So that's a lot. Yeah, it is. But at the end of the movie, they say that uh, as of 1991, it had generated $100 billion in revenue. So uh, it became profitable after a certain amount of time by uh, extreme lengths. But yeah, the ending scene, everyone's mad because the hotel finally opens... But it's a flop, nobody comes, it's storming, there's a leaky roof, there's power outages, there's no guests, nobody gives a crap about this Flamingo Hotel that's opening on Christmas Day, um, which may or may not have been a weird, you know, real thing, but it was definitely weird to choose Christmas as an opening day. Um, all the monsters are mad about the six times budget from what they are promised and all the extra shares that are sold to Hollywood stars and whoever else could get their hands on them. And so... Um, Bugsy goes back home to L.A. in this house that he bought <laughs> in cash on the spot from an opera singer who we didn't really talk about, but that's one of the scenes where, you know, within two minutes he gets what he wants just by talking a little bit. Um, I think he just comes into the house and he's like, yeah, I want this house. And exactly. Guy, and the opera singer was like, but it's not for sale. And he's like, oh, well, I'm going to take this house anyways. Yeah. And yeah. then How much it, do you want for it? I'll take it. Yeah, and then that was it. He he got the house. There was no, there's nothing else. Like no back and forth negotiating. It was just no. like, okay, you're buying the house, and it's now yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very little like you know, insinuation of threat or anything yeah. like that. It's just like, yeah, you know, how much do you want for it? Oh, it's worth forty five thousand dollars. Okay, well here's sixty. Is that enough? So he's in this house in L.A. Very nice house. Whatever. He's watching his. Um, his screen test reel his for when he wants test. to be, you yeah. know, because he wants to be an actor. So he's watching his screen test reel. And then uh, a car in the street pulls up and shoots him through the window many, 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 many times. 
Uh, bullets are destroying pictures of everything around him that he loves, you know, Virginia and, you know, projector screen as well gets shot and, you, you know, it gives like a nice little image of like, you know, the orange of the... Uh, the light, the light from the passing projector. through, kind of yeah. looking like blood as it goes through him. Um, and then, like, the projector falls over, and then the film reel loses velocity and starts to slow down speed as he also is dying. So it's a very poetic ending that is probably a little bit too on the nose, and also very, very similar to how Warren Beatty dies in Bonnie and Clyde. And that at the end of the movie, he gets shot up a whole bunch of time, times in this. You know, Does he make the same sort of triumphant faces he was making? Because I was mostly la- laughing at the way he was remember. acting and dying. I was laughing at that, and I probably shouldn't have. But yeah, no, it was it was it funny. Was, it he looked was making very, weird faces. He was making weird faces, and as he was dying, the faces he was making just. <laughs> Because he got shot so many different times, and it's sort of like that, you know, that hackneyed movie trope of like, ooh, uh, ooh, hey, yeah, ooh, hey, hey. and yeah, you had to make he was making those noises and shot. then like falling, sort of falling over and then back and then forth and then side yeah. and side. Yeah. The the other thing that I looked up is that he was shot while sitting at a table in the kitchen reading the newspaper, and he was shot through the window. Yes. Mm. And it was mostly a couple times in the chat, or he was shot a bunch of times, but it was twice in the head and the rest in the body. Mm. So I'm just wondering why. In this one, like the headshots were at the very end. When he yeah. Slumped, when he slumped over in the chair, they got him there. They, they changed things around and make it again, like poetic. They, you know, mm-hmm. showing yeah, him his watching life and his ambitions his own. and his hopes and dreams for the future. Because he's like, oh, I can fix this hotel. It had a miserable failure of an opening, but I'm going to fix it. Mm-hmm. I just need some more time and probably some more money, which is no big deal because money's no object to me. And my friends, I'll convince them. I'm good at convincing. And then he gets shot up a whole bunch of times. And yeah, just like in Binding Clyde. Um, and then I don't know if I want to spoil another of his movies, but Warren Beatty has definitely... Ended a, a movie role by getting shot uh, a few years later in another movie of his. So it's a theme with him to a degree. But with that being said, Bonnie and Clyde is worth watching. <laughs> I have not seen a lot of his older stuff, but you know, um, Bonnie and Clyde is is very good. So watch that instead of this better gangster movie. Someone I want to mention because I found his story to be pretty interesting. So we're going to sort of pause on the credits a little bit here. Okay. Um, there's a guy named. Uh, Bill Graham, who played Charlie Luciano. This was his last film that that was released. He was also in The Doors, so we'll see him again. But I don't know if I would remember to mention this stuff. Anyway, I was looking up his story just because, I don't know, I I find it interesting after we talked about vitamin C last week Mm -hmm. to in-depth. You know, like some of these smaller supporting characters have interesting life stories, and this guy has a fascinating one. He died in October of 1991, so this is why it's his last movie. Uh, he died in a helicopter crash uh, at the age of 60. Uh, he was a Holocaust survivor, along with a couple of his sisters. His mother died in the Holocaust. He later uh, was in the Korean War and earned a Bronze Star and a Purple Heart. And he was also elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, after his death as a rock promoter. So apparently this guy, Bill Graham, he was a very famous rock yeah. and roll promoter. I, did, had, I knew nothing of this. Oh, I didn't... Okay, I know that name. I didn't know that... Was that him. was him, yeah. Okay. That was the same guy. So, yeah, he made his home in San Francisco. 
in the Fillmore Auditorium. Minor role is there's Charlie a, Luciano. So in San Francisco, there's a Bill Graham Civic Center or yeah, auditorium. Yeah, named. That's how I know that name and know him. I didn't know that was this guy. That's the same guy. Okay, cool. Yeah. We'll start with the Golden Globes because it won Best Picture Drama. That was the only movie uh, award that it won. It was also nominated for Best Director for Barry Levinson, uh, but he lost to Oliver Stone, who won for JFK. Annette Bening was nominated but lost to Jodie Foster. Warren Beatty was nominated but lost to Nick Nolte, uh, like we talked about before a couple weeks ago. Uh, Harvey Keitel and Ben Kingsley were nominated for Best Supporting, but they lost to Jack Palance. Uh, the screenplay was nominated, but lost to Thelma and Louise. The score, Ennio Morricone. Ennio Morricone. That's Morricone's. another thing that we didn't yeah. really speak about. That was nominated, uh, but lost to Beauty and the Beast. I thought the score was uh, very surprisingly understated. You'll know when you watch a movie that Ennio Morricone has scored composed. or composed, yeah. yes. You know it's him, and I didn't know that this was him until I, I saw it. I was expecting more um, dramatic, horns, yeah, especially like from a movie in that era. I was expecting you know more like trumpets or whatever. Going into the Oscars, but at the Oscars they only won two awards. They won for best art direction slash set decoration. Understandable, very much a period piece, and those things get celebrated a lot. And this is. Uh, Looked fantastic in that respect. And then also Best Costume Design. Again, yeah, understandable. Deserved. Most likely deserved, for sure. We've only seen three movies here, but probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe Turtles 2 had better costumes, but we'll discuss that when we get to Turtles 2. Yeah, we'll see what <laughs> else has been nominated under that category. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really look that up, honestly. I didn't look <laughs> we'll up who else was nominated for that one. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Warren Beatty was nominated. Harvey Keitel and Jack uh, and, and Ben Kingsley were nominated for Best Supporting Actor, but lost to Jack Palance. Uh, Best Director went to Jonathan Demme this in the Oscars. Original screenplay uh, also went to Thelma and Louise. Uh, and then uh, for a score was also nominated. This was Ineo's fourth nomination. He was nominated for Untouchables, The Mission, Days of Heaven. Before that, um, he only won recently for Hateful Eight. That was his first and wow. only win. Um, he had an honorary award that he was awarded before he won an actual legitimate original score Oscar. Um, and then the cinematography was also nominated. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, so I apologize in advance. Alan Davio, D-A-V-I-A-U. Sounds French, don't know how to pronounce that. DeVoe. We'll say DeVoe. Uh, that's his fifth nomination. He was nominated for Avalon, which is Barry Levinson's previous movie from a year before. Empire of the Sun, Color Purple, and E.T. were all his. All nominations did not wins. Uh, but Robert Richardson won Best Cinematography for JFK this year. Lastly, the most important movie awards, the MTV Movie Awards, they do make an appearance again. <laughs> At that age, the MTV Movie Awards were the most important to me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I was watching that over the Oscars and the Golden Globes at that time. We would watch it, and then you'd watch the replay later that day or maybe the next day. Yeah, but it would have so been... you had nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been censored or yeah, a lot weird. of yeah. stuff. Would, that's why you watch it live, because if someone, you know, 
swears or something. Sometimes they don't yeah, they cut don't it out it right away. Um, Those but are this fun is, times. <laughs> Back in the day. This is our third movie in a row for the podcast. It's our third MTV Movie Award Best Kiss nomination. Out of five Yeah, nominees? I think there's only five nominations. So, um... I'm wondering what the Amazing kiss. string of luck. Yeah. Probably the projector one. Oh, because <laughs> the other scene we didn't talk about is when he's they're fighting him oh, and yeah. Annette Benning. Or it's mostly... It's when Warren Beatty is in another closed room in his house and Annette Benning is hearing Warren or Bugsy beating up on a guy and, yeah, you know, yelling at him, making him squeal like a pig like and a blah, dog. blah, blah. Yeah. And then he comes out, slams the door, and Annette Benning, Virginia Hill, is staring at him kind of, like, scared in a way. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, let's eat. Mm-hmm. And they go sit down and eat some shrimp. And while he's eating shrimp, she starts making out with him while right. he's eating shrimp. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, yeah. is this the kiss that they get nominated for? Who knows? Or is it the projection one? It's tough to say. Because if, if Cape Fear got nominated for Best Kiss, then who knows what they actually chose. I want to know who is uh, picking the movies for the kisses. Yeah, or... couldn't they have picked like a more teenage-oriented movie? Since the, Yeah, MTV is more for... The, like... Yeah, younger generation. Naked Gun, I get because it's like a comedy and it's funny mm-hmm. and it's fun. Kate My Fear, girl, yes. I get because they wanted to probably get Robert De Niro and Juliette Lewis to be there. Just from that perspective alone, I can see why they would probably want to do it. Who cares about like what teenager cares about Bugsy and Warren Beatty and Benning? They want to appeal to the older crowd for some reason. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. But yeah, My Girl won. We've talked about that before twice already. Um, it just happened, you know, just luck worked in our favor in that regard. We had three MTV Movie Award Best Kiss nominations out of the first three. That's the the luck of the randomizer. Anything you want to add about Bugsy's real life? You know, I always try to look up anything that happened during the week that these movies are released, and I always try to find something true crime-ish that Mm -hmm. happens around that time. I was lucky to find stuff... For Cape Fear, and not really for Naked Gun besides O.J. Simpson. Yeah, the ancillary. Yeah. And then for this movie, the first one is You Must Remember This, which I listen to a lot. It's about a lot of older Hollywood stories. And the other one was Female Criminals, which I just mostly listen to the... Virginia Hill side of it. So the you you must remember this episode was all about Bugsy Siegel and it touches up a little bit about Virginia Hill and then the female criminals was all about Virginia Hill's life, which is more interesting to me than Bugsy yeah. Siegel's life, yeah. actually. So before I get into this, there's trigger warning, content warning, sexual assault. He got the nickname Bugsy for being crazy as a big bug. And that was the main thing that I heard and read about. And as a teen, he started off just committing little, you know, thefts. And he was doing that with a friend of his, his best friend called Mo Sedway. And there was a Mo Sedway in the movie, but it was a very minor part from what I saw when I looked it up. Okay. But that was his best friend since 
15 days. Yeah, I don't remember that character. They said in the movie that Meyer Lansky had known him since the teen days. So they yeah. probably uh, switched that up a bit. Yeah, they may have just decided to do that for the movie. Give that to a bigger name. Mm-hmm. So Bugsy and Moe Sedway, together they just performed a lot of organized crime in New York, including robbery and murder. And also they would uh, assault young teenage women. I am not going to delve into too much into his life, but I do. I, I did talk a little bit more earlier about you know how he was killed. So on the night of June twentieth, nineteen forty-seven, he was forty-one. Siegel was actually at Virginia Hills home. Okay. In Beverly Hills and. She had an impromptu flight to go to Paris, and I'm not sure if they showed that in the movie. Mm-mm. They just showed that she was. Still she at just the hotel. wasn't there. Oh, okay. Uh, working on stuff, and he said that he had to go back to L.A. for a meeting, and she assumed that that was it for him. Mm-hmm. So she, he was at home sitting at a table reading a newspaper, and, and an unknown assailant filed fired through a window, hitting him, you know, twice in the head and then the rest in the chest. And to this day, the crime is remains unsolved. And one of the theories was that it was Lansky who paid, who was Kingsley's character, mm-hmm. who was the mob accountant because, you know, Bugsy owed all this money, you know, Racking up all this debt, yep. blah, 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 all the mobsters that he was moaning to after building the Flamingo. And another theory that I actually found, there was a tiny article on LA Times or the LA Weekly and also in People Magazine that was dated in October 2014. It was, so this confused me a little bit as I was reading it. It was the lover of Bugsy's best friend, so Mo Sedway, from his teen days. Mm-hmm. And Mo Sedway, he took over control of the Flamingo after Bugsy's death. So Mo Sedway's wife's lover I killed see. Bugsy. Yeah, they, they were got. either made of the arrangement. I didn't. They didn't delve into it in the article. Just saying that the lover killed him. Okay. That's another theory. It's not confirmed. And the other thing is that there's a memorial outside the wedding chapel of the flamingo that is dedicated to Bugsy Siegel for some. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, good for him. At the end, so at the end of the movie, they do little script or a little tiny sentence here or there saying, you know, the flamingo is now open and has racked up this or, you know, has made a hundred billion dollars. And then they also did a little tiny sentence about Virginia Hill killing herself or. She supposedly had embezzled two million dollars of the budget into a bank account, and, and they say that she returned the money to Meyer Lansky and then killed herself in Austria. That's what the movie says. She was from... She was born in Alabama, 
So Virginia from Alabama, mm. which made me think of the joke in Naked Gun, you know, where yeah, they were like, all the oh, names. yeah, Tex from Wyoming and stuff like that. I was right. like, oh, Virginia from Alabama. Yeah, that was a good bit that they did. We didn't talk uh, about that. <laughs> I don't know, I shouldn't laugh about this right now, but I just, I thought, Virginia from Alabama. And she left Alabama. She actually got married at the age of 14 to a 16 year old. Mm. And they, that's when they moved up to Chicago. And she also wanted to sort of get into movies. She became like a sex worker and also was in some pornographic films. Okay. And then she's is I guess also similar to Bugsy where she's very charming and she just was moving up her way into wanting to be famous and she somehow ultimately started working for and with Al Capone. And then also going to New York where she had to keep tag Tabs on the New York mob boss, Joe Adonis. Not sure if you know who he is. He was in the movie. Yeah, briefly. They, they called him Joey A in the movie, mm-hmm. played by Louis Van Bergen. Um, Bugsy beats him up in a club. Mainly, yeah, because, I mean, she was sleeping with, the, yeah. He badmouthed uh, Virginia after the fact, and so Bugsy beats him up in a club, and he, like, stops and checks his hair and then continues beating him up. Yeah, cause she's also sleeping with all these men just to, you know, get what she wants in right. a way. And then eventually she moves on to L.A. to work with and also ultimately have a relationship with Bugsy Siegel. So, okay, at the end of the movie, we stated that it said that she committed suicide. Mm-hmm. She was found... To be drugged in the woods of Austria. So she, you know, after Bugsy dies, you know, she's still in Las Vegas and in L.A. for a bit. She gets married to someone and he's from from Austria, I believe. And she just moves there. Also been in trouble from the mob and also with, you know, the government because she's been throughout this entire time, she's been embezzling money. So she just never, after she gets married and moves to Austria, she just never goes back to the U S. So she was found to be drugged and found in the woods in the middle of Austria with red marks around her neck. And it was Mm. speculated that Joe Adonis was behind her death. Hmm. She died on March 24th, 1966, and she was 49. Wow. So we can move on to pop culture. Yeah, happier stuff again. Going, I also couldn't find a lot of stuff, so I don't. maybe it was, you know, December of that year, and not much was going on besides Christmas coming up. But the number one song of that week December 13th 1991 was Black or White by Michael Jackson so we you know talked about that yeah we talked the about video the video premiering in November for Cape Fear and then and it's, yeah. now the single is very big makes sense the number one song in the UK was Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by George Michael and Elton John okay slightly different flavor yeah 
other things that I found out during that week, I know you like video games and I was going to ask you some of the video games that were popular around this, you know, time, I guess, December 1991 uh-huh. was Elvira, the arcade game. Do you know this? Have you played this? I know the Elvira pinball game. But this was on the Commodore 64. Oh, no. Okay, so me and my brother had the Commodore 164. Um, and we had a lot of bootleg games for it. I don't think either of us would have thought to... Play it or buy it? Find or, or yeah, get an Elvira game at that age in our lives. And <laughs> try to, you know risk our parents seeing us with an Elvira yeah. type of a game. <laughs> I just but, I mean, I liked the pinball game that was mm-hmm. at Aladdin's Castle in the mall. Another game that sounds like something you would like to play now, it's like a puzzle, educational puzzle adventure game called Castle of Dr. Brain. I'm not sure. I have heard of that, I think, yeah. I think that's, it's probably a little bit more kid-oriented if I were, if I were yeah. to guess. But I've probably seen some review on youtube like lazy game reviews or something probably covered that at some point i was looking into the top books that were on you know the bestsellers on the charts number one was den of thieves by james stewart which i have not read no but also on the list was stephen king's needful things which i never read never saw I don't think I've read it, but I've seen the movie. I I mean, around in 1991, I was not in the Stephen King obsession yet. I think that's not until 92 or 93 when I started to read a lot of his books and then watch all of the movies. And then based get back on. into it, yeah. Yeah. I was too paranoid as a kid. I would not have touched anything horror back then. I know we talked about. You know, the ABC, TGIF. I mean, it was yeah. the similar Same lineup. similar listing as it was from when K-Fear was out in November. But on CBS, because it was Christmas time or close to Christmas, Mickey's Christmas Carol was on. And it had 9.5 million viewers. Nice. And then after, that was the first airing of it. And then after that was John Denver's special, John Denver's Montana Christmas Skies, which mm. had 9.6 people wow. watched that. 9.6 people. 9.6 million. <laughs> yeah, 9.6 9. people. 9.6 people yeah, nine, <laughs> Partial. Per, I was the point six because <laughs> I was like not really kidding. Yeah, half paying attention. Yeah. You're looking things up on the, the internet in yeah, 1991. Yeah, the, the pre-internet that was happening. <laughs> now, this was at 10 o'clock at night, and oh. I don't know what I was doing at 10 o'clock at night. Gotta say that for John Denver. Uh-huh. All right, so rank, rankings and ratings time. On your 1 to 5 scale, where would you put Bugsy? I would give this a 2. Okay. So not your lowest. It's not the worst movie ever. It's just not fun or good. I just, yeah. I, I mean, visually great. There's a lot of good. I liked Annette Benning. I know you didn't I really didn't find her performance. Harvey Keitel was fine. Yeah. I just didn't really like Warren Beatty as Bugsy Siegel, and I don't know why he was nominated. I can, I can see why he was nominated, especially for a movie that was, you know, catering to nominations. It makes sense. Um, for me, on the zero to four star scale with the half stars and everything, I'll probably give this a two. Um, 
If I think about it more, it might go down to one and a half. I don't know. It's yeah, just, if I it, think about it more, maybe one. But yeah, it's just a little bit too disjointed. I don't understand the appeal of it. It definitely doesn't have any, like, resonating moments with me. Like, Cape Fear, there is, like, interesting things happening. There are memorable moments, memorable mm-hmm. scenes. A lot of things you can come back to and, and think about again and, and, you know, just... Or be instantly reminded of. This was just basic as all get out that looked pretty um but just seemed generic so that's where we are uh every movie is worth watching once but would you watch it again nope no no i'll watch the virginia hill movie yeah if we can find that i would be interested in watching that yeah uh but if you want to watch bugsy after all this praise that we've lathered on the movie yes uh as of this recording in february 2021 it is available on fubo tv showtime digital rental vhs dvd as always check your local listings as for us you can listen to the 1991 movie rewind podcast on all your major platforms we assume if you found us here keep on listening to us here uh you can email us at 1991 movie rewind at gmail.com of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of 800-plus movies, along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to move on to Doc Hollywood, uh, which is available on HBO Max, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD if you want to watch along with us. Hopefully, we'll see you then, and uh, have a good night. All right, thanks. Thanks.